Welcome to the Superhero of Love podcast. I am Bridget Fonger, and I wrote a book called Superhero of Love, Heal Your Broken Heart, and Then Go Save the World. My book is all about helping people love and be loved more than ever. I believe we all have a superhero of love inside of us. Yes, even you, superhero. And in this podcast, I talk to people who are all about helping us all tap into that superhero. May this episode make a difference for your heart. Let's get this party started. Welcome, superheroes. It is the week before Thanksgiving, and around this time of year, we all start thinking about the things that we're grateful for. Um, I usually do Gratitude November, and I'm so excited. I forgot about Gratitude November, meaning getting on social media and, and extolling all the things that you're grateful for via words and or pictures. Um, I'd forgotten about it. And my friend Jan Casebolt, who is featured in this book that I'm about to talk about, um, reminded me about Gratitude November. So I've been very conscious of it every day as we lead up to Thanksgiving of how grateful I am for all the different elements in my life. And <clears throat> we were just at the vet today and um, my dear sweet Lucy may have may have cancer and which is so hard. And she's one of the things that I'm so very grateful for um, in my life every single day ever since I very first met her. When I first met Lucy, um, I was sitting on a lawn, my friend's cousin's lawn, and it was it's a huge lawn. And across this lawn, as if it were a Hallmark movie or some sort of 70s commercial, Lucy, a little white fluffy puffy puff puppy ran bouncing, bounding across this huge lawn, ran toward me. I was sitting cross-legged on the grass, got into my lap and promptly fell asleep. In other words, Lucy adopted me and I have been ever so grateful for her. And hearing this news is, you know, it's, uh, it's growing a little bit more serious every moment that passes since I, since we discovered this, um, little tumor actually, because she was getting her teeth cleaned today and we just, ha it happened to be discovered, but it's even more poignant that the topic of today's Superhero of Love podcast is the book entitled Medical Miracles. It's the full title is Medical Miracles Attributed to Master John Douglas, Book One, Medical Insights Gained from Observations of Angelic Reformation. And when we talk about gratitude, the thing that I am throughout every day, no kidding, throughout every day since I met Master John Douglas, I have been grateful for him. And hands down, he is the most important thing to the element of my superhero of love growth. In other words, Master John Douglas removed more of the subconscious debris that was stopping me from loving and being loved than any other thing in my life. So for that, obviously, I'm extraordinarily grateful. I'm bringing back a podcast from almost exactly one year ago, which was an interview with the author of this book, whose title I just said, Richard L. Sarnat, MD. He's a medical doctor. And I interviewed him last year, but his book just came out. So I'm bringing back that interview so that we can hear it again and so that it might inspire you all to reach out for his book, which you can buy instantaneously on amazon.com. Again, it's called Medical Miracles and his name is Richard L. Sarnat, and I will, MD, and I will put his, the link to that in the podcast notes. Um, I will also put a link to his website in the podcast notes, but that's um, medicalmiracle.info. And I hope you enjoy this podcast if you didn't hear it when it first ran over a year ago now, just over a year ago. And here's to medical miracles, and here's to Gratitude November, and here's to, here's to us all tapping into the magic of miracles. Enjoy. Dr. Rick Sarnat is an extraordinary human for a million different reasons. And we're just going to talk about a few of those reasons today because we don't have time to talk about all million reasons that you're an extraordinary human. So longtime meditator, longtime doctor, longtime Tai chi -er. How do you say that? Tai Chi. <laughs> do you really say Tai Chi? -er? Pra pra practitioner of Tai Chi. <laughs> Practitioner of Tai Chi, 
And one of the first inspiring things that you ever told me about yourself, besides being a meditator for many decades, because you're now 140, right? Many, many decades. Working. Yeah. Um, is you started a network of doctors who are are approaching medicine in a new and different way, in a more holistic way. Is that a good way to say that? Sure. Um, what we did, which is pretty unique in the country, is most people that deal with holistic medicine are renegades. That's why they go into holistic medicine. They have, in a sense, dropped out of the medical system. They typically don't take medical benefits or insurance. They strictly take cash-paying patients. But the problem with that, while it's very useful for some people, is that a huge portion or segment of the population is left out of the equation. Right. So how do you treat those people? For instance, Medicaid people. People that are medically disenfranchised, socially disenfranchised. How do you get them the kind of holistic help they need as a covered benefit? Right. That is what we do, different from pretty much everyone else in the country, is for over 20 years now, this began in the metropolitan area of the city of Chicago. Anyone who lives in the metropolitan area in the city of Chicago who signs up with a Blue Cross HMO plan can choose us to be their primary care doctors. Oh my God, that's incredible. And what we do for no extra cost is they get all the conventional medical benefits, A to Z, soup to nuts, that everybody else gets, but by doctor referral and assessment, they literally get unlimited chiropractic, unlimited massage therapy, unlimited acupuncture, energy healing, Reiki, you name it, all delivered by licensed healthcare professionals. Now, we literally started this as a research project. Huh. Because while this is common sense, that if you front and load, prevention, wellness, nutrition, lifestyle choices. Theoretically, we all believe, commonsensically, that the costs of surgery, medical devices, pharmaceutical usage, inpatient admissions, ER admissions, etc., will all dissipate and become much less. But while this is common sense, until we actually studied this and published it, there was no proof. So we have now published this twice. We did a three-year initial publication. We did a seven-year follow-up publication. This has all been presented to the NIH, National Institute of Health, by um, request at a conference. And literally, common sense is right. That when you front and load our broken medical system with truly holistic care with providers who are licensed but do not reach for pharmaceutical surgeries and procedures is a first-line choice. Everything improves to the point where we use almost 90% less pharmaceuticals. We have over 50% less hospital admissions. Oh we have over 50% less ER visits, over 50% less usage of medical devices. This saves, clearly, over 50% of projected medical costs. So it doesn't make, I mean, like my first thought is, oh my God, everybody's going to run and do a million, you know, holistic, you know, chiropractic and acupuncture appointments and stuff like that. But you don't have people abusing the system either, right? You just have people getting well. In other words, when you first say the idea, it sounds like, oh, that's going to be more expensive, but you've just listed all those things that you're cutting the costs of. And it doesn't, it doesn't offset what they're taking advantage of either, right? Correct. They're just getting better. They're getting better. Well, there's a number of things. First of all, the use of the complementary alternative medicine modalities still has to be approved by their primary care physician. In this particular model, 
-hmm. We have other models, by the way. In this particular model, your PCP, your primary care physician, still has to approve it by medical necessity. So there really is no abuse of the system. And it's also given us a lot of very valuable information. For instance, chiropractors, a certain percentage of them, believe that everyone should go three times a week for the rest of their lives. It's not uncommon to sell people packages they prepay mm -hmm. to do such a thing. So it's only logical to say, well, scientifically, does that really make sense? Right. I mean... Nobody's checking them, right? Nobody no, yeah. is, other than us, right. is actually researched that. And what we found is that chiropractic in the right hands can be very effective, as can, by the way, naturopathy, doctors of oriental medicine, etc. But in chiropractic's case, we found that on average, going twice a month, in other words, 24 visits a year, not three times a week, mm -hmm. was enough to reap optimal benefits in mm. terms of prevention, wellness, and health. Wow. And that is something that was previously unknown before we did you know, our research and, and proved this in a large population setting. So what we've really done is take the more fringe elements of complementary alternative medicine and embedded it as a covered benefit for everybody, not just an exclusive cash-paying population, mm -hmm. into mainstream medical insurance as a covered benefit. That has not really been done before. And that's, that's a game changer. I mean, this really does and will change the entire paradigm of how medicine is delivered going forward into the future. Okay, we'll talk about the future in a second. I just want to stop and say, like, the reason that I wanted to interview you for this podcast is a conversation that we had about taking care, how you take care of the patients, not only with these holistic modalities that they may not have had access to otherwise, but that you take, like, you're taking care of their hearts. I mean, this is a superhero of love podcast after all, but the way you talk, for instance, about how you deal with addiction I would love to have, have you tell them about how you deal with addiction, because I know, and also give us your stats on that, which is extraordinary. Sure, sure. Well, again, because it's a superhero of love. <laughs> well, and I also, like, I think we, of addiction as a heart issue. You know, it's a... Absolutely. Right? Well, again, everything, you know, as I read through the early chapters of your book, <laughs> which I love, by the way, you know, you're really dealing with, Self-healing, self-empowerment, awareness, um, you know, getting outside one's comfort zone. You know, I always used to joke that growth only takes place outside the comfort zone. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And, you know, self-awareness really is the first step towards all healing, whether it's just making better choices or becoming aware of the intended and unintended consequences of all the choices we make during the day. And, and so for our people dealing with addiction, and that, by the way, is a whole different product line, which my company deals with. We were hired um, by the state of Florida. We are hired by the state of Rhode Island. We um, work in various states treating the super high utilizers of healthcare, the people that are failing in the system, the people that are addicted, the people that can't stay out of the ER in the hospitals, mm. the people with chronic pain. And by the way, 20% of all populations have chronic pain. Whoa! We're talking Medicaid, Medicare, and commercial. Wow. And again, that is really an unknown statistic. Yeah in both the insurance and scientific world right now. We have not published a great deal of our data. We do report it to our clients. We do report it to the various state legislatures who have mandated the type of programs that we run. But just to give you an example, in the last six years, for the state of Rhode Island, we have reduced opioid utilization 87%. Oh, my 
God, we have reduced pharmaceutical usage by over 60%. We have reduced ER admissions by over 60%. But the real kicker is inpatient admissions compared to the cohort group of eligible people with chronic pain who chose not to do the program, we reduced inpatient admissions by over 75%. Wow. And this is in basically a population of homeless people wow. who are addicts, who, uh, you know, whether all forms of substance abuse. And it's really, you know, life changing for these people. And that's why we do it. You know, that's the feel good at the mm -hmm. end of the day is, is I tell my nurses, we all struggle in life to have a meaningful life. And every day, we want to have a meaningful impact on the world. So how do you do that? Well, this sort of gets back to your book. <laughs> I mean, as the readers of the book will find out, you do that, first of all, by looking in the mirror mm -hmm. and changing yourself first. Right. But once you change yourself first, you really change the world one person at a time. And that's what we do in our program. How do you get the addict to look at, to change themselves? How do you get them to look in the mirror even? Well, most people, again, human beings, one of my favorite lines is that we're over-engineered. <laughs> that's great. In other words, yeah. you can whack out one kidney, go along just fine. Right. You can whack out half your liver, go along just fine. You can lose 50% of your heart ejection fraction. Wow. Go along just fine. So we are remarkably over-engineered. And one of the virtues of that is that inherently people want to get better. You know, self-preservation is a very strong drive. Mm -hmm. And part of self-preservation, once the maya or delusion of what we're doing that's not working becomes aware, people really want to get better. So in the strictest sense of the word, I can't make anyone get better mm -hmm. until, this goes back to the book, <laughs> they're ready to get better mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. There's a spectrum of awareness and ability to change. But if they're fairly far along that spectrum, and they're ready to change. They're ready to give up their pharmaceuticals. They're ready to give up the side effects of all the opiates and all the other things that people are doing to help them. You know, it's like a duck to water. Everything we do feels, looks, tastes different than conventional medicine. Mm. The way I sell this to clients is I explain what you're doing in, with the tools in your toolbox is high cost high technology and low patient satisfaction. It just doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. What we do is the opposite. It's low cost, low tech, a lot of hands-on healing, mm -hmm. but it's high patient satisfaction. And you're also, I remember you talking about how you, like you're talking to those patients, like you're actually investigating what's going on inside there. Well, there's, there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, with modern medicine and managed care, most providers have very little time to even spend with the patient. Mm -hmm. We spend an hour with each modality, whether it's you know, acupuncture, chiropractic, whatever. They typically are getting an hour of the provider's time. Wow. And in order to really understand someone's pain, you have to peel back the onion in ways that Typically, the behavioral health providers have not done, their social workers have not done, their doctors have not done. We, in many ways, aside from adding new tools to the toolbox that really work in an interdisciplinary approach, we also become their advocates within a system that mm -hmm. is failing them. Mm -hmm. And as anyone knows who's been in a hospital recently or had a complex medical issue, if you don't have a knowledgeable advocate helping you find your way through the system, yeah. you're just not going to do real well. The right. system is going to fail you. 
Right. Because and if, if it fails, your the first inclination, if you're an addict, is to just go back to the, well, this is much easier. This is going to solve this instance pain. Absolutely. So the interesting thing is people get immediate results. Wow. This is not, you know, the argument when I started this 20-some years ago is, well, you know, we really can't invest in that because it's going to take too long to get results. Patients change their insurance every year. And so we're going to invest for a year or two. We're never going to see the results. They're going to be gone. And the opposite is true. People get results within the first three months that are rather dramatic. And And they don't want to switch insurance after that, right? I mean, don't you want to do your best to, okay. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. Yeah, No, I mean, we have what we call the stickiness rate. Mm -hmm. That unless members lose their benefits, for whatever reason, financial or otherwise, people want to keep doing this program because, again, these... Mostly we're dealing with chronic problems and mostly we're dealing with chronic pain and or addiction. And it's a lifelong battle. What we, what in some patients, we actually cure them, so to speak, and they go back to work and thrive. In other patients, we give them manageable strategies that allow them to accomplish what it is they wish to accomplish in life. But they have to continue those strategies. Otherwise, they could relapse back into the same old behavioral patterns, decision-making, et cetera, they had before. Can you share with us one of these things that you put in their toolbox? Well, again, the things we put in the toolbox as a covered benefit are things like chiropractic, mm-hmm. massage therapy, acupuncture, energy medicine, um, nutritional counseling, even Things like conflict resolution. Oh, cool. You know, it's all peeling back the onion, discovering what are the real triggers, just like the triggers for an addict. What are the triggers for both your addiction and your chronic pain? And putting new tools in the toolbox, different than what conventional medicine is offering currently, because unfortunately, scientifically, we know that what they're offering is not working very well. Yeah. And while all this sounds really good, and while patients clearly get better, if it didn't save a whole lot of money, the right. client, whether it be the state, the ultimate payer of healthcare, wouldn't be interested in it. But the beauty is, it saves a lot of money. I mean, I always joke. If I could save 5% of the multi-trillion dollar healthcare budget, whoever could do that would be a national hero. Right. We don't save 5%. We save, 50, we save 20%, 25%, 30% per year off the existing base. Okay, now, you've been doing this for 20 years. Why is it not in every state? Why? What is going on? That is a great question. <laughs> Why is it not in every state? There's a number of complex reasons for that. Number one, anytime you disrupt the existing paradigm, it makes people uncomfortable. So there are many reasons why people are invested emotionally, financially, mm. intellectually. Like the pharmaceutical companies. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, look, healthcare a lot of money. is 18% or more of the gross domestic product. Wow. That's a huge number, almost double what any other Western industrialized nation spends. And we know, scientifically, we are not getting double the results. In fact, our, our results are often worse than people spending half as much as us. But anytime you divest the existing people from those revenue streams, it creates disruption. It's easy to disrupt certain industries, Airbnb, Uber, Lyft, etc. They are not highly regulated industries the way healthcare is. Mm-hmm. With healthcare, you're dealing with licensed professionals that are regulated state by state. You're dealing with certification bodies, which are national, federal monies, which are governmentally you know, given out nationally. It's a very, very complex system to disrupt. 
Okay, Rhode Island. Isn't Rhode Island incredibly happy with the results? The people that are aware of the results are incredibly happy. Okay. But if you were to interview almost everybody in government, I would guess less than 1% of the elected officials in Rhode Island even know we exist. Why is that? Why do they, and why has it not been? Lies yeah. part of the problem. Like, how could, how could these people not be going to dinner with officials and going, guess what? This is the statistic I just heard today. Look at what we're doing. This is... You're right. <laughs> and many years ago, I used to get very angry about this. <laughs> Sign of my... Um, one could evolution. Say evolution. Right. Some could say senility. I no longer get angry about this. I have come to realize you cannot push the river. Nature will change things in the pace that nature chooses yeah. without sounding a little new agey. You know, world consciousness supports what it supports at any given moment. And I cannot change that. And I mean, I could tell you the many times I've been threatened by people not to be high profile about this. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, even to the point I was where, thinking, are you on the, the pharmaceutical C enemy where list? Where the CEOs of major companies yeah. have told me that if I ever go to the newspapers again, they will pull the contract. So there are scientific biases against what we do. And, you know, this is, not, this is not news. I mean, the editor of the New England Journal of Medicine has been saying for decades that, you know, science is not pure. When you're funding it by people who want a certain result, more times than not, you will get that certain result. Mm -hmm. So there are many, many reasons why, as I said, less than 1% of the elected governmental officials in Rhode Island even know we exist. But we are doing our best to persevere. Um, as an example, I'm in uh, you know, talks with strategic partners on a regular basis. And these are huge national players, some of the largest healthcare companies in the country, who have finally taken notice that, oh my God, this is a huge problem. Mm -hmm. In some sense, the national spotlight on the opioid crisis is the greatest thing that ever happened. Right. Because it's bringing the discussion out into the open. Mm -hmm. The existing providers of solutions are realizing they don't have solutions. And so people are willing to go outside of the box mm -hmm. and look for more innovative solutions with real track records such as that we have. Mm -hmm. And so my hope is within a five-year period, this will dramatically grow and you know, be available nationwide, as, as you said. But as I've said, I've learned not to get anxious <laughs> or angry or upset. It took me a very long time. Because I'm sort of a warrior by nature, and my solution is you see a brick wall, you just smash through it and yeah, keep going. Yeah, me too, yeah. That doesn't always work to your benefit. Yeah. Um, let's talk about transcendental meditation. And I'm wondering, is meditation one of the things that you also bring to the patients? I'm curious, and tell us. We do. Okay. We, we, we offer, you know, obviously, there are many community resources which we plug patients into for meditation, Tai Chi, yoga, exercise, you know, etc. Um, we don't offer transcendental meditation specifically for our patients just because of the fee structure. Mm -hmm. it, it's just not available to them. But we do do guided meditations with them over the phone. Mm -hmm. um, over the phone. Okay, so somebody's in crisis and they call and... Yes, we, let's say we have a patient who you know, has some behavioral health issues, anxiety, whatever, whether they're on pharmaceuticals or not. It would not be uncommon for one of our nurses to sit on the phone and actually play guided imagery meditations from a variety of sources. 
Oh not God. just one or two. We use many, many different teachers and guides and sources from John Douglas to um, you know Buddhist instructors, etc., for mindfulness. And it, it calms the patient down. You know, we talk the person off the ledge, we reground them, and we keep them out of the emergency room when it's not really indicated. So something as simple as that. Once they have a uh, trusting relationship with these nurses who are their care managers, mm -hmm. again, our job is to expose them to another universe that they've never entered before, and a universe that has tools that really work. And meditation, yoga, tai chi, things like this really work for these people. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned John Douglas, and that's where we met, is in the John Douglas community, which we're both um, ever so grateful for to Master John Douglas, I know. So let's talk about, I want to meander into this world that straddles Master John Douglas and medicine, because you've been recently, even just as of this morning, is it? published again. So tell us about the studies that have been recently published that have to do with his work. Sure. Um, you know, meeting Master John Douglas is one of the high points of my life. <laughs> it's not often that you meet someone who can turn her whole world upside down and show you horizons that you never knew existed. And it's even more inspiring when you can subject them to the rigors of science and say, look, you know, things that we thought were uncurable. We had no knowledge of the mechanisms of the disease. Um, become... let's, let's interrupt and just say who, because for somebody who's just listening to this podcast and they haven't heard me talk about Master John Douglas before. So Master John Douglas is a spiritual leader and healer, and he is very well known for healing incurable diseases such as Lyme, lupus, cancer, etc., HIV, etc., etc. So people often come to Master John, as I did even, for a physical um, thing to be healed. He heals it miraculously, and then you're not um, done and gone at that point. You're in, because he then, what you realize is he has so many things to heal in you besides these little teeny tiny they're, they're like a speck on the they're a speck on the landscape of the of the beach even these little physical things even if they're serious physical things they're these tiny little things compared to the heal the deep deep healing of of subconscious patterns etc that he anyway so i just wanted to 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 tell them what master john douglas does Sure. In a nutshell there. Yeah, very good. <laughs> um, so what I'm doing now is Master John has, you know, been traveling the world and healing people. I believe he says that approximately 50,000 people have received angelic healings through him over the course of his lifetime. So obviously amongst those 50,000 people, we should be able to find some really good scientific case studies to um, report on which will have indubitable evidence to support what he's doing. So as odd as it may sound, and I have to admit that when I first started submitting articles to peer-reviewed journals, and peer-reviewed journals are you know, considered the gold standard of science, you have other doctors looking at your methodologies, your, you know, uh, conclusions, etc. Um, no one was more surprised than me that they actually got accepted. And so at this point... And this is several times over at this point. Yes. I've now submitted articles to um, five different journals, I believe. Four of them have been published. And another is in peer review right now but has already been approved and just awaits the final galleys to be published. And I'm starting slowly. We uh, have already reported miraculous healings without the use of surgery, pharmaceuticals, 
um, for things such as sarcoidosis, considered incurable. Parkinson's disease, considered incurable. Fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, orthopedic uh, problems where the person is all but incapacitated. And within a very short period of time, people become healed. And the beauty of this is that, you know, if jumping over to theology or mysticism for a second, you know, there's been recorded miraculous healings throughout the ages. But these are seen more as random events occurring in someone of extraordinary religious deservability, let's say. You know, in the, in the Catholic Church, and I'm no expert on the Catholic Church, but, <laughs> but I've been told that... Rick has Jewish heritage. Yes, I'm, I actually refer to myself as a Hindu or a Buju most of the time. <laughs> but um, in the Catholic Church, I'm told that when you have two miraculous healings, that qualifies you for sainthood. Well, what do we say about someone who has 50,000 miraculous healings? And the point is, and what I reference in the scientific publications, is that the reason we're able, and John is able, and people who he has taught, by the way, to um, duplicate his healings, the reason why there are now, I should mention, about 500 people. When I first met John Douglas, the first question someone asked him in a public seminar is, can you teach me to do what you do? And at that point, he said no. And then a couple minutes later, he goes, well, maybe in the future. Wow. We'll be able to do that. Oh, my gosh. And as of, I believe it's 2013, mm -hmm. he began teaching what he calls the Elite Development Course. And you and I were both there in yes. 2013. Bridget, Bridget <laughs> and I and many of our friends mm. were there. And... Uh, he began to teach us how to duplicate what he does, even though it's more difficult for us than he. And we'll never have the full throttle no, Master John no. Douglas ever, ever, ever. That is true. In this case, the <laughs> Again, student, we have a speck of sand on the beach. <laughs> the student will never surpass the teacher for a variety of reasons we won't go into. But, but, <laughs> but the, the point of the story is that these are not random events that we literally discover the root cause, the etiology of these incurable diseases, which more times than not are infectious entities, which, quite frankly, medical science is unaware of. You know, I've heard John say that medical science, including microbiology, virology, parasitology, etc., only is aware of maybe five or 10% of the total universe of infectious agents that cause these diseases. So let's step back and ask ourselves, you know, is that really that unusual a statement? Let's go back to before the electron microscope was developed, or even before the first ordinary light microscope was developed. Nobody knew what caused all these diseases, Suddenly, you know, I'm blanking on his name, I think it was von Leeuwenhoek or someone, invents the, you know, the light microscope. He can see all the bugs in everybody's blood and cells. And he goes, oh, I think these are the cause of diseases. Well, he turned out to be right. But that was only a small portion. Then you get to electron microscopes and you can see viral particles and you can test for viral titers of the blood. The bottom line is our filters to know truth are only as powerful as the technologies we have to reveal them. So why is it so unbelievable that a newer technology, which really takes place on the level of consciousness, which measures the electromagnetic signal emanated by every infectious agent that's known or unknown, reveals a whole other universe of root causes for these diseases. This, quite frankly, is sort of the same old story. This is the history of science. This is exactly how it happens.
And so there will always be resistance. When I first submitted the article on the Parkinson's cure, the first journal I submitted it to rejected it. I'm happy to report that's my only rejection so far. Wow. And another journal later accepted it as I, you know, made it even more robust. So they did me a favor. I, um, you know, I tightened it up to answer all of their objections. But I found very amusing the fact that the main reason they object, they rejected it was because, quote unquote, Parkinson's is incurable. Mm. That's a bit of circular reasoning. Right. I mean, you, you know, I mean, but the whole point of the article is to show you that Parkinson's is not incurable mm-hmm. once you understand that there's a root cause, which is an active infection. You find the infection, you kill the infection, and the patient gets better. It would be like going back in time and saying that, you know, um, pneumonia is incurable. Well, no, it's not incurable. You just have to isolate the infection and treat it appropriately. Right. So the world... And by the way, I want to interrupt and say, you're also, you're giving them, you're giving them before and after medical, you're giving them medical reports, aren't you? Of the, like the before report and the after report. So So they're actually seeing something that they can relate to and understand. Correct. So for instance, in the sarcoid case study, sarcoidosis has very classic x-ray findings of what's called bilateral hilar adenopathy, which just means in your chest on both sides you get swollen glands in a certain pattern that's um, classic for sarcoidosis. Now, this patient had that classic pattern. Once they were healed by John Douglas, the follow-up x-ray showed that pattern was gone. It was completely normal. Um, and more, in most, and it never is reversed. Because no, no, medical. It's never, it's like the Parkinson's patient. My worst, most end stage Parkinson's patient that I have been taking care of along with John for must be six or seven years now. When I met this gentleman, he was slumped over in a wheelchair, drooling, could not even speak in any intelligible way, could barely eat his food without aspirating and choking, was too weak to even get in and out of the wheelchair by himself. This, by anyone's standard, is end-stage Parkinson's disease. Oh my God, I just got chills. That is incredible. Now, this gentleman today literally can stand up and dance a jig. He can climb stairs. He can have normal relations with his wife. He is a happy, functioning person who even last year took the John Douglas Elite Development Course and became a healer. I was sitting next to him. And became a healer himself. Oh, my God. So that he can actually heal people with a little practice (laughs) who have is debilitating a disease as he had. And more than anyone else... I've okay, wait, seen. I have to interrupt. Oh, my God. Okay, so I was sitting next to this gentleman at the, the Elite course this year, and I had heard... All I had heard that was that he had been in a wheelchair and that he had been healed by John Douglas, but I didn't hear any of the story. And I literally saw him at several junctures over the weekend sprint like run really super fast somewhere. Like this is unbelievable. He, oh my god. He literally exudes childlike <laughs> joy because he's, you know, he has been brought back from the dead. Yeah. I mean seriously. Yeah. And again, that's not uncommon. I have another lady I haven't published yet, but I'm watching her labs sequentially. She was referred to John Douglas by someone in August. She has uh, chronic leukemia. Mm. Her white blood count was in the hundreds of thousands. Her spleen was so huge it was about to burst. Wow. She was told by her doctor that any day now they would do an emergency removal of her spleen. Mm. She saw John, and two weeks later... Her spleen was a normal size, and her blood count, which had been in the hundreds of thousands, white blood cells, 
reverted to normal. Oh my God. Can you now, just tell me number wise what's normal from hundreds of thousands? Is you it? You know, it's, it's like 7,000. Okay, you know, okay. Seven, hundreds of thousands yeah, versus I mean, 7,000. Okay, just I'm just curious. Huge, huge change. Jeez. So again, these are indubitable markers of miraculous healing. Now, what her future is, I can't say. Will she relapse? I can't say. But from a scientific, not to be cold-hearted, but from a scientific <laughs> standpoint, you know, that's not the point. The point is, what we saw is not random. This is not an isolated case of a cancer patient. I'm aware of many cancer patients that I will be publishing you know, their case studies is I continue to follow them. And to, to be fair, I, um, I just started publishing these studies this year in 2018, and I thought it best to start slowly, not to shock the scientific community <laughs> too much. So I started with incurable diseases, but I have not yet published my first cancer Okay. Uh, remission. Okay. That will most likely be published. It is, it, like I said, with this woman who I'm following for chronic leukemia, I'm just waiting on a few more blood tests and, uh, you know, establishing a trend over a longer period of time. But I have many other cancer patients who went into complete remission from stage four cancers as well. When their physicians told them there was no hope, they should sign up for hospice. And it just shows that doctors are not all knowledgeable, we're not all powerful, <laughs> that divine intervention, a miracle can occur any second of any moment of any day. Oh, that's and, uh, well, I love the fact that, I mean, like, if a lay person was doing this, it just, you know, even if they went and did the research and got the before and after you know, medical reports, it just wouldn't be the same as having a doctor presented. I'm just so happy that you're in John's orbit and that you've taken this on to do this. It's extraordinary. Well, I'm not alone. I mean, there are probably, just off the top of my head, 15 or 20 at least licensed, you know, healthcare professionals, doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, etc., mm -hmm. um, who have been trained by John to become mm -hmm. healers. I you know, in my career, just have a history of publishing even way before meeting John. So I have uh, taken on the responsibility. I, you know, to be fair, I'm good at rejection at this stage, <laughs> at this stage of my life. You know, I, I'm not too fragile. So, you know, I'm willing to suffer the slings and arrows of the establishment as I, <laughs> as I bring this knowledge out in good humor. And uh, right. as I said before, it's been a long journey. I used to get really angry, you know, because I knew there were so many better ways that we could treat people and help people. And it, it's just difficult when that's not occurring. And you, and you know that you have a better mousetrap and they just won't adopt it for whatever reason. But as I said, as we get older, we all gain greater perspective, enlightenment about ourselves, our relationships, our communities, our country, our world, our universe. And um, so I'm pretty chill about the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> you are. You're remarkably chill. And you talk about, like, you don't, you, there isn't a sting of frustration or anger um, in, like I just, I became immediately angry when I heard that this thing in Rhode Island has been going on for so long, so successfully, and we have an opioid crisis on our hands, and this is something that's working in this country. I can't believe that we're not uh, bringing it to the masses, and also taking care of these patients' hearts. Like, I mean, I'm sure that doctors are. Any doctor listening would be like, "What an hour." You have an hour to spend with somebody, but you make it work. You make it, you make it economically feasible to do this. We do, because if you do what you need to do, the cost savings are enormous, and therein lies, you know, the hope for the future. You know, as remarkable as all this is, 
if I didn't save a whole lot of money, it would never be adopted. Yeah. You know, like it or not, you know, I, I, I'm sort of a serial entrepreneur by birth. Um, <laughs> and I tend to um, be very passionate about various missions that I've undertaken over the course of my life. But as I always would tell my employees, no margin, no mission. Oh, that's good. So the point is, the mission may be great. Yeah. But if there's no margin, it's not going to be adopted. The marketplace never lies. It doesn't mean you don't have a better mousetrap. It just means that world consciousness, as manifested in the marketplace, will not support it at this time. Mm -hmm. You know, you may have to come back 20 years from now with the exact same mousetrap, and suddenly you'll be a success, which, by the way, is a very, very common thing with books. You know, I mean, people can release a book under one title mm -hmm. 20 years earlier, and it flops, and they mm -hmm. come back, change the title, world consciousness has changed, the marketplace is more receptive, and they become, you know, international celebrities. Mm -hmm. So let's hope that Superhero of Love mm -hmm. is striking at the exact right moment and... Uh, let you us. won't have to re-introduce it 10 years from now. Yeah. Oh my topic. God, what a horror. <laughs> Thank you for ending our beautiful interview on such a um, horrible note, Rick. Um, <laughs> you know, look, I'm not a professional comedian. I've never said my time. So that was Dr. Rick Sarnett. Um... Stay tuned for more from Dr. Rick. I'm sure we'll hear many more magical stories born of his documenting the miracles that are occurring in the Master John Douglas world. If you want to check out Master John Douglas, go to masterangels.org. Thank you, Rick, for coming today and blessing us with your presence and getting me all depressed. Just kidding. For those of you listening to the podcast for the first time, if you like it, please go over to iTunes and give us a rating and you can subscribe to the podcast too so you'll know when an episode comes out. Either way, thanks for coming to join us today, Superhero, and I hope you have an awesome rest of your day.